Well, hello and welcome to Abundant Life Church. My name is David and I'm one of the pastors here at ALC. I'm so glad you're joining us, whether it's from home or from a watch party uh, in someone else's home, or maybe you're out of campus. I'm just so glad that you are with us. Last week, we started a brand new series called Healing Well. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be hearing from some uh, guest voices on the topics of grief and loss, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Uh, And I'm so looking forward to really talking about what it means uh, to process these well, to really find healing. What, uh, where is Jesus in the midst of of these types of pain, this type of brokenness, and and how can we see hope through the light of Jesus? Uh, Today, we have the honor of being joined by Dr. Barbara File. Barbara is a uh, licensed professional counselor in the Portland area. She also teaches counseling at Multnomah Biblical Seminary and is also a regular teacher at her home church, Sunset Presbyterian Church. I'm so thankful that you are with us. And I guess my first question is, what do you do with all of your free time? Yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's some, there's okay. a little bit. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Well, uh, this is such an interesting uh, season and, and I, I just um, am thinking a lot of us may be wondering what it's like to be a counselor in 2020. This is one of those unique positions where you get to hear where people are at. What is that like? Yeah. I would say, and you know, every counselor is probably going to respond differently, but for me, David, it's an amazing privilege to be a counselor at a time when there's so much anxiety, so much depression, so much hopelessness, uh, you know, so much struggle around all the changes in our world, and I get to sit and hold that with people Mm -hmm. and to hold their pain and their anxiety with them. And uh, so really, I have to say that I'm so grateful Mm. that I'm in this profession at this time. I can't think of a time where it's more meaningful and other than maybe right after Mm. 9-11. But to help people walk. Some people are struggling because of the pandemic. Some people were struggling before the pandemic. Mm. And now this is layered over that. And so to just sit with people and literally just hold their pain with them is such an amazing, amazing privilege. And then to help them find hope in the midst of that. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing your heart uh, in that. Uh, well, today's uh, topic that we are discussing is is so closely related to that. We've been experiencing uh, loss and kind of processing and grieving things throughout this year in a variety of ways. And since we all experience that, that pain differently, that loss differently, uh, it might be helpful to just define uh, what is grief. Yeah. So grief is the acute pain of having lost someone or something that you love, that's very important to you. And it's a natural response to that loss. Mm -hmm. Everybody feels it. Nobody escapes without having that sense of loss. So it's really that acute sense of, I've lost something that was dear to me, that I loved. And uh, and it can feel all-encompassing at times. And, and, and as we uh, look at different types of grief, uh, how does grief, um, um, I guess, uh, reveal itself in, in these different losses that we're experiencing? I know it might be as small as uh, a vacation or some plans that we have, all the way to yes. loved ones' careers. Right. How does that express itself in different ways? So we all understand loss in the context of losing a loved one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, it's a little bit easier if you've lost a parent and they've lived a long life, they're near the end of their life, that may feel a little bit easier. 
much, much more difficult to lose a child, uh, but also to lose a spouse or a family member. Um, the grief around the loss of an individual can be complicated if the relationship with that person was difficult or even harmful, but it's still a loss. So often uh, the person who grieves the most at, a, uh, at the death of an abusive parent is the child or adult child who now knows that they will never have an opportunity to experience that parent's love. Mm. So um, so loss of people, we kind of get that, we understand that. But the reality is we experience grief over the loss of a treasured pet, uh, very much so. Uh, in fact, some people find it easier to grieve a pet than to grieve a person at times. We experience loss through, the life's, through life's transitions. Uh, a mother or a father can experience a sense of grief when they send a child off to college and they launch a child out of their home. Uh, we can experience, I think we're all experiencing a form of grief and have been in that for some time over the loss of freedom mm. to move about, to do what we want, to make plans, to go on vacation, just to live life normally since March, since the shutdown. And we don't see when that's going to come back or how it's going to come back. So that's a loss. Um, and, and, and then there's losses of freedom as we age. So loss comes in a lot of different forms that sometimes we don't always think about or acknowledge. Absolutely. Well, I know the, the tendency, and you hinted at that a bit, is, is, is to rush to get beyond that and, and to not process that in a healthy way. Um, and so well, when it comes to a loss, when it comes to grief, um, what is the difference between moving forward with that and, and moving on? Is there anything healthy? We hear a lot about moving on or getting past it. Is there anything healthy about that? Yeah. Well, what we know is that life doesn't stop even when we've experienced a loss. Life didn't stop after the shutdown in March. We all had to get up in the morning, figure out how we were going to do our day, how you were going to get your kids through a school day on Zoom, and, you know, I mean, how you were going to do your work at home or, or work at the office or work, or people in the medical community had to figure out how they were going to continue. Life went on in the middle of loss, and that's what we know. The problem is, is that if we do not pause to honor the pain that we feel, the loss, then it doesn't go away. You can bury your feelings, but you bury them alive. Mm. And they don't, they, they don't resolve themselves. Um, one of the things I love to be able to talk about with people is that we're sometimes better at, um, at dealing with loss and pain nationally and globally than we are personally. So, um, you know, nobody wakes up in Germany and says, oh, goody, 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 we're going to the Auschwitz or the, you know, the museum uh, for the Holocaust. People don't say that. It's not Disneyland. If you go to the Holocaust museums in Germany, they're solemn and somber and sacred. And I've never been, but I've been told by people that no one speaks no one speaks as they go through those. And if they do, it's very hushed down. It's like reverent. And there is so much pain that you're witnessing around you. But ask a Holocaust survivor if they want those torn down because they're too disturbing. Absolutely not. The same thing is true of 9-11. Um, what does everybody post on social media after the anniversary of 9-11? Never forget. Mm -hmm. We build a museum. 
we build a reflecting pool. Why? Because we actually don't want to forget. We want to honor and remember the pain and the loss of that day. Same thing with military cemeteries. All of those things are important to us. Unfortunately, we don't do as well with our own personal loss mm. and pain. We don't take time to honor it, to hold it, and to say this is important and it's a normal journey to go through this. And really, grief has its own trajectory and everybody experiences it differently. Some experience a really sense of acute pain in the beginning and then it subsides rather quickly perhaps and others have a more prolonged sense of awareness and pain, uh, that can become what we call complicated grief, but not always. It just takes some people longer than others to move through it. There's not a timeline for grief. Hmm. So when we when we look at that contrast, of course we want to get through it quickly, yes. but there is that process. What does a healthy process of grief look like? Really hard to say because it is an individual journey for different people. Years ago, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote a book on the five stages of grief, really, really helped us understand what happens. But nobody, what we've learned since then is nobody goes through them one, two, three, four, five. Mm. They go one and four and three and two and five and then one again. And then, so we have to create space for people to simply be in that journey and to recognize that they're not getting over it. I think one of the most harmful things we can say to ourselves or to other people when we're in a grieving process is, what aren't, you, aren't you over it yet? You know, I, I, I'm supposed to, I should just get over this. No, nobody gets over loss. We get through it and we bring it with us. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Um, now, as we process as, as believers in a faith community, uh, how does that, how is that process affected by our relationship with Jesus? What does that look like? That's one of the things that I love because if you really read the whole scripture, and we don't always look at the scripture through the lens of our emotions, mm-hmm. but in reality, if you read scripture, you see every human emotion that we experience. And I believe the reason it's all in scripture is because we are made in the image of a God who feels the full range of human emotions. Mm-hmm. And that's why we feel that range as well. And that may be troubling or disturbing. Some people would like to have God have no emotions, but that's not true. God has all the emotions we have. God grieves. Mm-hmm. God, even God even repented. He made Saul king over Israel. I mean, God rejoices. God is angry at times. Um, I mean, so he experiences deep sadness, he experiences all these human emotions. And Jesus did as well. And I think that helps us a lot to understand. I think one of the most beautiful expressions of how Jesus uh, identified with and experienced our human emotion of grief is in John 11. And uh, John 11 is a story of Mary and Martha. We know they were very close to Jesus. Jesus, uh, you know, in fact, it says in the beginning of the story, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And, uh, and so he loved them. He had a unique relationship with each one of them. But then it goes on to tell us that he loved them, but they sent word saying Lazarus is sick, and we're told Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Hmm. Almost feels like he's unresponsive. And he knows, and he tries to tell his disciples, 
I'm doing, God's doing something here mm. that wouldn't happen unless I keep the timeline that God has given me. But eventually he shows up. Now again, the sisters have sent him a message and their message simply is, Lord, the one you love is sick. They don't even ask him to come because their assumption is he'll be here. Mm. He loves us. Mm. He's going to come and he doesn't come. And Lazarus dies. He's already in the tomb. We know that in the ancient world, they buried people far more quickly, but, and the sisters are grieving. And, and so when Jesus comes and finds out that he's dead, there's this wonderful moment. Um, and by the way, Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And that that event is actually going to be the event that walks him to the cross. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the final straw that makes the religious leaders say, this is it, we've had enough. So he knows this is all part of a bigger plan. For the sisters, they just lost their brother. That's all it was. They lost their brother and Jesus wasn't there. And so there's this wonderful moment in the story where Jesus uh, sees Mary. He's already had a conversation with Martha, but he sees Mary. She's weeping. All these friends and relatives are weeping with her. And it's the shortest verse in the Bible, uh, John 11:35. It says, Jesus wept. And the interesting thing about that is he knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I often have thought, I would have said, hey, quit your crying. It's all going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You know, you don't, you don't need to weep. No, he enters their grief with them. Even though he knows in a few moments he's going to call Lazarus out of the grave. And yet he enters their pain and their suffering and weeps with them. And we know that scripture says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We're not as good as that as Jesus. I often think to myself, you know, what would Jesus do? He would cry. He would cry in this moment with this person. He would just simply enter their pain and their grief. Mm. So I think that we have beautiful examples throughout Scripture of the fact that we as believers need to honor others' pain and honor our own pain. Mm. Just not easy for us to do. It's not, it's not. Well, and what's so interesting there in John 11 is you also see the difference of Mary and Martha and Jesus on how they responded to the loss. Could you speak to that? Yes, and that's one of my favorite parts of the story that I think gets overlooked. So if you read the passage, you discover that uh, Jesus is still a ways off from their home and uh, someone whispers to Martha that Jesus is on his way. Well, she doesn't even wait. She just gets up and goes to meet Jesus. It's interesting because a little bit later, Mary's going to get up and go meet Jesus too when Martha comes back and tells her. But um, no one gets up and goes with Martha. When Martha leaves, nobody goes with her. When Mary leaves, everyone comes with her. All the mourners go with Mary. So I think, wow, what a contrast. Obviously, Mary's a far more people-oriented person. We know from the story in Luke that Martha's a bit more task-oriented. And so she gets up, and she goes to meet Jesus, and her first words are, "If you had, Lord, if you had, not been, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Those will be Mary's exact same words when she sees Jesus. The sisters both say the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And what that tells me is, this is what they've been saying to each other for four days. They've been saying to one another, if only he had been here, our brother would not have died. And again, they don't understand the big picture of what's about to happen, that they're going to be a part of. They're just lost in their own grief. Mm -hmm. So Martha starts with that. And then Jesus and Martha 
get into almost a repartee mm. between the two of them about what has happened. It's like Martha needed to verbally process what was happening about her brother's death. And Jesus ends up in a beautiful conversation with her about resurrection. And uh, in fact, he says, um, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, oh, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Hmm. Oh, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Now, a little bit later, as Jesus is about to resurrect Lazarus uh, and call him out of the tomb, Martha's the one who says, oh, don't, do, don't bring the body out, it'll stink. So she's struggling as she's even confessing her belief in Jesus. She's still struggling, but she does this whole conversation with Jesus. And I think some people that are grieving need to talk. They just need to talk. Mm -hmm. They need to talk about their loved one. And they need to do that long after that person is gone. And everybody else moves on. They need to talk. They need to tell the stories. They need people to ask them, what do you miss most? Is this season hard? What do you remember about this? They need to talk. Mm -hmm. So then Martha goes back and says to Mary, uh, Jesus is calling for you, which actually isn't in the text. We don't know for sure if Jesus said that or not, or whether I've often thought, did Martha just want to see what, she would, what Jesus would say to Mary versus what he said to her? But Mary gets up. Everybody gets up with Mary. They go out to the place where Jesus is. They're all weeping, and then that's where we see Jesus weeps with Mary. Doesn't say anything to her, just weeps with her. So again, our needs when we're grieving can be very different. Mm. And we need to just be sensitive to what a person needs as they're grieving. Mm. So, so uh, as we um, are, are sitting with people uh, in their loss, if we're not experiencing that loss, what, what does it practically look like? I know, I know you mentioned some of those helpful questions, mm -hmm. but what does it practically look like to enter into that grief with someone else, whether they're needing to weep or needing to talk or needing to be served. What does that look like in a practical way? So I often think to people, you know, because a lot of people will say to me, I don't know what to say. I don't want to be with the person who's grieving because I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. Mm. Um, there's a little cartoon short that Brene Brown put together on empathy. Mm. And uh, it's I highly recommend it. You just Google Brene Brown on empathy. And it's a beautiful picture of what it means to just be with someone, even when you don't know what to say. Mm. And the little end, the, it's it, animals, it's kind of a caricature thing. And at the end, the one little, the big bear says to uh, the little fox, you know, I'm so sorry. I don't even know what to say. I just want you to know I'm here for you. Mm. That's it. I mean, it's not difficult, but we are, the reason that people struggle to be with people who are grieving is they often don't know what to do with their own pain, so they don't know what to do with somebody else's pain. Mm. And they don't know that simply being with someone, just holding their pain, is the thing that's really necessary. Do you have to be a professional counselor? No. No, mm. you don't. But I think you do have to believe, you have to hold in your heart a hope that the human spirit of resilience that I believe God placed in us, 
will get us through this. Mm. I often sit with clients that are struggling with suicidal ideation. They are so hopeless that they want life to end. Some because of grief, some because of past trauma, uh, you know, all kinds of different reasons. And when someone expresses the desire to end their life um, or to not, to just have their pain end, which is really what they want, it's so often we're saying, oh, no, 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 don't do that. And what you learn is, no, let them talk about that. Mm. The ones who can talk about it, who can say, I am in so much pain, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm. They're the ones that aren't going to act on that. They're not going to act on it. They just need to express and have someone sit with them in their hopelessness. And, um, and to do that, you have to believe that God, and it's, again, it's not that there are people who do take their lives. So I'm not saying that they won't, but oftentimes it's the act of sitting with them that provides support. And that, that's antithetical, that's kind of, um, it, it does, that doesn't make sense to us because we think we need to fix it. We need to do something. We need to make their life better. We need something that's action-oriented. Yeah, eventually, eventually. But in the beginning, we just need to be with people. Yeah. I love that God's primary, I mean, besides the cross, the next most amazing thing God did to minister to us was send his son mm. to be Emmanuel, God with us, to be in our world, to experience everything that we've experienced. So it's that God with us that is began the healing process even before the cross, mm. that God entered our world. And that's really what we're doing with people that are grieving. We're entering their world. Mm. Well, isn't that the, that motivation and that that posture mm. that makes all the difference? Because all the difference. We can sit and listen and just wait for that key point that we want to correct or speak to or fix, uh, but just sitting and letting it be or even reflecting someone's words uh, can make can make all the difference to really help someone to process and work through that difficult yeah, season. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what do we do then <clears throat> when, like Martha, or if we look back at last week, we talked about um, Ruth and Naomi. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Naomi was another character that said, God, where, where are you in yes, this? Yes, yes. Um, and, and I think for so many people of faith, that is a part of that grieving process. Yes. Of, yes. of just like uh, just like Martha was asking, where were you? Yeah. Were you even exactly. there? Exactly, yeah. Uh, how, how do we help people to process that? I think it's, I love the Naomi example because she became bitter. Mm-hmm. She became embittered. And we need to be patient with people as they ask the why questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's as a pastor or as a counselor, when people come in with, you know, why did God allow this? Or, or uh, you know, I've had clients that are just pissed off. Hope that doesn't offend anybody at God, mm-hmm. but that's the truth. That's where they're living. Yeah. And I had someone say once, well, don't you correct them? No. And one of the realizations I had even before becoming a counselor as a pastor was, God does not need me to defend him. He'll defend himself. He'll take care of that. He'll, he's the God who wants people to know him. Mm. He will reveal himself. I don't have to do that. So I can just sit with there. Of course you'd be angry at God. And you know what? God's okay with that. Mm. He'll accept your anger. You can rail at him. It's okay. He is like the parent that holds the child that's so angry until they're spent. 
So I don't have to, I can let them do that. And one of the reasons, and sometimes I'll say this to people, when they ask those why questions, I'll say, you know, it's okay because Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Hmm. And I think it's very significant that that came at the end of his life. Even Jesus asked why. And so we need to be okay with letting fellow believers or those who, do, who are trying to understand God and don't even have faith yet, it's okay for them to ask why. Hmm. But to believe that God will provide the answer. It's not that we can't uh, talk with them about what experiences we've had in our own life, but let them sit with why for a while hmm. and hold the why with them, sit with them in that. Hmm. And, and now let's turn that on, on its head. If, if I'm the one that's, that's experiencing those questions, that God, why have you forsaken yeah. me? Or God, where are you? I, I think it's, it's one thing to be caring for somebody that's, that's feeling their pain immediately mm-hmm. and, and to sit with them in that. But how do I deal with those, those feelings when, when I am upset with God, when I am asking those questions? I think this is something that we're all, we all struggle with mm-hmm. because we, again, we're not sure what, to, we're, we're not always taught how to f- experience and feel our emotions. Mm-hmm. And create space for emotion. We're usually, you know, trying to bury it, Mm -hmm. shove it down. I'll say to people, well, what do you do with those feelings? Oh, I just get rid of them as quickly as possible. Or I I stuff them down. Or I I mean, that's always, almost always people's first response. And sometimes I'll say, hmm, okay, for, for five minutes, for just five minutes, can I like create some space for those feelings? Would you be willing to talk to me about them? Just five minutes. Then we'll put them back away again. But just for this time, would you just tell me? And part of what's happening when we do that is we're dropping, we're allowing them to explore and move from their head, that's usually the angry part that's saying, and to the heart. And to be able to say, I'm just so sad. I need God and I don't know where he is. And to get to those deeper emotions that are usually the ones that are around grief and sadness and loss and all of those things. So yeah, creating space. And we can do that for ourselves. I do it often in the car, just checking in with myself. What's going on? How are you feeling? What's happening? If I'm grieving something, um, then literally setting some time aside. I might journal. I might light a candle. I might just sit. I don't try to fix things or figure them out. I just let things bubble up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the week after nine or after uh, the shutdown in March, I I was very aware that I was anxious, mm-hmm. literally anxious, and and I kept wanting to do something. Nope, nope, nope. We're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna let myself walk this journey because everybody else is doing this too, mm-hmm. and I want to understand. You know, now that didn't mean I didn't get out of bed and didn't, uh, you know, try to figure out what I was going to do at work and how we were going to still see clients and how this what was going to happen and all of that, just like everybody else. But I wanted to create space for that anxiety because it was real. It was a real response to what was happening in the world. And then I found that over time it dissipated. Mm. I've talked to many other people who did not let themselves feel any anxiety and it came up later. Mm. And grief is the same way. Hmm. 
Well, it's so interesting. And that just brings up the topic of, of just self-care. Because yes. um, what you're really referring to is that same space that we allow other people to have, which is difficult in itself. Yeah. Um, can we allow that space for ourselves? Uh, and, and, and I think we put so many other priorities, production, um, um, just seeming like we're okay. Yes. And even more so in the Christian world. I yes. know I was just taught growing up the one question you can't ask is where is God? Yes. Or the one thing you can't doubt is that God is good. Yes. And so when I actually felt those doubts, when I actually had those questions, I knew that I could not express them. Yeah. And and so on a personal level, can we allow ourselves to truly process that? Yeah. And are we in a community that allows those questions? Yes. So that, that leads me to, as, as Abundant Life Church or, or any faith community, yours or mine, um, how can we be better as a, as a church community of creating those spaces? Love that question, and I'm glad you brought it up because I was thinking, um, even as I was on my way here, about how as churches we go through transitions that can bring a sense of, of grief within the community. Mm-hmm. So having been in ministry as long as I have been, I know that churches um, lose staff, and and sometimes it's a happy parting or a joyful parting. Sometimes it's a very difficult parting. Mm-hmm. And our church has gone through several very painful losses of key leaders and or pastors. And it's it's so tempting as churches to just want to find the new person and move on mm-hmm. and not create the space for grief, for uh, to to look at the things that happened to find ways to develop a sense of reconciliation. I mean, we don't want to do that. And part of it is because when you're dealing with a community, mm-hmm. it feels far more complicated than just one person. Mm-hmm. And yet, really, we need to honor the fact that we are all grieving, and particularly churches, because it's not like losing a CEO. We can kind of keep that in the left side of our brain, you know. Mm-hmm. But a church is a, is a family, there's a sense of connection through the Holy Spirit that makes us want things to be stable. You know, it's just like in any family. We don't want to go through a divorce. We don't want to go through the loss of a person in the family. We don't want conflict within the context of the family. We want everyone to get along, but we're human, and so that doesn't always happen. But we don't want it acknowledged. And I don't, I'm not talking about, you know, all the nitty-gritty details. I understand all the HR things that go on in churches or whatever. But just acknowledging that we are in a transition. Churches are in a transition right now. We're grieving the loss of the ability to be together in worship. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not normal. It's not natural to not join together. We will eventually be back together. We will do church the same, you know, the, how, the way we used to. We'll probably have new ways also of reaching people, but, you know, we will be back together because this pandemic will come to an end because every pandemic in human history has ended. Mm-hmm. But it's how we walk people through it mm-hmm. that's so important. And so even in churches, we need to realize, yeah, it's okay to express some of the darker emotions and the struggle, and, and, and you don't have to get stuck in it to, that's what a lot of people are afraid. If we express it, we'll stay there. No, mm-hmm. no. Jerry Sitzer said something in his book, The Grace Disguise. He said, we don't become less through loss unless we let the loss grind us down. But he said, I didn't get over the loss of my loved ones. He lost his wife, his mother, and his youngest daughter in a car accident with a drunk driver, left he and two other children. He said, I didn't get over the loss of my loved ones. Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life 
like the soil receives decaying matter until it becomes part of who I am. Sorrow took up permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. Mm. And I think that's what we don't realize. We don't realize that in reality, what grieving can do is enlarge our soul so that we actually experience more of life and joy afterwards. If we tamp down the more darker, difficult emotions, we also tamp down joy. Mm. And so to create space for this allows for more of this as well. That's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us. It is so evident how much you just love people and have a passion uh, for walking through uh, difficult times mm -hmm. with them, sitting in their pain with them. Uh, can I just ask you to, to pray for those who are watching and listening? I would love to. Right. Father God, I'm so grateful to come and just share a small bit of what you have taught me about grief, about loss, about sadness, about honoring pain. And Father, all that I've learned about that really comes from the pages of scripture. Psychology has helped me understand it from a scientific or a neurobiology kind of standpoint, but the reality is it's all there in your heart and in your son's heart in scripture. And so now, Father, I pray for this community of believers. I pray for them as they feel the grief of isolation, of, of distance, of loneliness, of, of fear, whether it's about the election or the future or the pandemic. Father, for those who have literally lost a loved one to COVID, for those who uh, are fearful of, it, of their own health being impacted, I pray that they would know that you are with them and that there are people in this church who want to be with them. Though they cannot be with them physically, may they sense the presence of the love of those who minister at this church, Father. So we pray that you would help us to honor pain, to honor loss, to create space for that and to create space to be with one another, knowing that tears may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. In Jesus' name, amen.